Welcome to the Wrestling House Show. My name is Chris. And that silence you hear means that it's just me tonight. This is the Wrestling House Show, hosted by me, Chris, on cnjradio.com. And no, Joey has not left the show, and no, I have not hijacked the airwaves or the internet waves from him. He is one half of the Wrestling House Show. But this is the beginning of a small series that may get a little bit larger in the future, depending on how it goes here, of me covering New Japan Pro Wrestling. Specifically, in this series, I'm going to be talking about the New Japan Cup. 2018. It just started as of recording yesterday, uh, early morning here in the United States, and Joey actually suggested that I do these episodes on my own because it's difficult for us to get together a lot of times, especially when New Japan has these tournaments that they run. They are almost nightly, and it's like two and a half, three hour shows every single night. And it's just impossible for the two of us to get together. I know he would love to watch these, and I would love to watch these with him, but sometimes it just can't happen. We just don't have the time to get everything done that we want to get done. We do have so much going on on cnjradio.com. And when Joey and I relaunched the Wrestling House show this year, we've been talking a little bit about how we're going to play around with the format somewhat. We're still doing the monthly wrap-ups of wrestling, of all the ones that I spoke about earlier, New Japan, Stardom, Ring of Honor, and WWE. They're going to be heavily WWE-centric, though. So we kind of thought that this would be a good way to kind of help introduce some people, maybe, to New Japan. Or if you're like us and you don't necessarily have the time to watch all of this wrestling, maybe this will be a good way for you to catch up a little. Maybe if you listen to these episodes and I say if I rave about a certain match, maybe you can go find it on New Japan World or wherever you watch your New Japan wrestling and take a look at it. But if these episodes are a way to help get you, if you're on the fence about New Japan wrestling and you are wondering if it's worth watching, if it's worth investing the... 999 or 999 yen per month for the New Japan world. Maybe this will sway you a little bit. For me, I've been watching New Japan off and on for the last few years, and I really started to get into it heavily or more heavily when I was living in Japan for a couple years starting a few years ago. I was able to go to one of the Wrestle Kingdoms and it just became a bigger part of my life. But enough about the build up. These shows are supposed to be short bite-sized or fun-sized so that you can just digest these quickly and move on and make your decision whether you want to watch or not and so I'm going to get right to it. So just a brief overview of what I'm going to be talking about tonight and for the next few nights like I said the next week or so a little bit more than a week actually I think it's about a week and a half two weeks What's going on in New Japan right now is the New Japan Cup. It started on March 9th, and what it is is a single elimination tournament. It's a 16-man tournament, and this has been running since... They've been doing the New Japan Cup since 2005, so it's been a while. And the first year they didn't do this, but the winner of the New Japan Cup will get a title shot. It used to be an IWGP heavyweight title shot, and then it was a few years ago when Shinsuke Nakamura won it, they changed it to where you could challenge for the heavyweight or the intercontinental title. And Nakamura challenged for the intercontinental title, which Hiroshi Tanahashi had at the time. And I think it was last year that they expanded that even further to where you can challenge for the IWGP heavyweight title, the intercontinental title, or the never openweight title. 
So it's one of those three singles titles. I see some people, most people are probably going to challenge Okada for the heavyweight title. I could see if Tanahashi wins it, that he'll probably challenge for the IC title to get some revenge on Suzuki for what he did back in January. I talked about that match a lot on our recap of January, so go listen to that episode if you missed it. It was a great match, a brutal match. But enough about the background and everything. You get it, single elimination tournament, you get a title shot, that's all you need to know. Okay, so, night one of the New Japan Cup. It took place on March 9th, 2018 at 6.30 Japanese Standard Time at Kurakuen Hall in Tokyo, Japan. There were seven matches on night one of the New Japan Cup. Match one of the night is a six-man tag team match. It consists of a team of young lions consisting of Tetsuhiro Yagi, Shota Umino, and Tomoyuki Oka versus Chucky T, Toru Yano, and Hiroki Goto. I think this match was pretty typical. I enjoyed it, uh, but it was a nice opener. They're usually These matches are usually pretty short. The young lions are usually very fired up, and they'll get some moves, and they'll be going after a certain guy here or there. Like in this one, Oka really wanted to face Goto. And it happened a little bit. Goto really didn't seem to be bothered at all, but Oka was really fired up. Yagi kind of was the sacrificial lamb in this match. He took quite a beating from the other team. And then Shota Umino, who is the actually the son of the head referee of New Japan, Red Shoes Uno, He's been standing out a lot lately in the Young Lions, and I think he stood out in this one a bit too. He was in there with Chucky T for a while, and they had a pretty good sequence. But it was Chucky T that got the pin on Shota Umino after an awful waffle. And yeah, it was a, it was a decent match. It was a fun match, and it was a good warm-up, and I, that's all it was really intended to be. And yes, I failed to mention it before, but this show, these mini-episodes will have spoilers. If you go to the website and read the written reviews, I try to keep the at least the winner of the match hidden, so you can click on it and see it if you want to, but I don't want to spoil it right away. But for these, I mean, this is a recap, and I'm gonna, I have to talk about the winners to talk about the show, so yes, there will be spoilers. But moving on to match number two, it is the Killer Elite Squad of Davey Boy Smith Jr. and Lance Archer, versus Tangaloa and Bad Luck Fale. Apparently Tangaloa was a replacement for Hikuleo, who got injured recently, so Killer Elite Squad actually faced two-thirds of the never-open-weight six-man champs. And I think one of the most memorable parts of this match happened before the match, when Lance Archer comes out. If you saw Wrestle Kingdom, he did kind of a similar thing. Lance Archer has his water bottle, and he proceeds to spit on pretty much everybody in the crowd. He makes it a point to go out into the crowd and spit and spray water and spit all over the Japanese fans. And (laughs) I think some of them thought it was funny. Some of them were ducking out of the way. But man, it's obnoxious and it's pretty great. I think the match was fine. Uh, I expected Loa and Fale to to have more teamwork. But of course, the Killer Elite Squad is also a, a tag team. and I guess they're more used to tagging with each other just with each other, whereas Tongaloa is actually more used to teaming up with Tamatonga, so maybe that was why. But Tongaloa actually did get isolated a lot by the Killer Elite Squad, which makes sense because Bad Luck Fale is a big guy. And really, in the end, this was the Killer Elite Squad's match. They never seemed to be too far out of control. It was a, it was a good match. I liked it. Davy Boy Smith did end up getting the pin on Tongaloa after a killer bomb. They did, like, two double-team moves on Loa after a while. Fale just, he got beat up a little bit, but he just, I don't know, he wasn't, 
in there, he wasn't a great partner for Loa in this match. But up next, match three was a six-man tag team match. It was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champions, El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, teaming up with their Suzuki-Goon stablemate, Zack Sabre Jr. and Takamichinoku. He joined the rest of Suzuki-Goon and was talking up Zack Sabre Jr. a lot for the Japanese crowd. It was that team versus Los Ingobernables de Japón, Bushi, Sanada, and Tetsuya Naito. So this is a pretty big match. I mean, I think that those members of Suzuki-Goon on paper are a little bit outmatched by the LIJ members. But I feel like most people in New Japan right now would be outmatched by any team with Tetsuya Naito on it. And so since this was a Suzuki-Goon match, there was a fight on the floor, there was a brawl. But I think the main focus of this match was Zack Sabre Jr. He got in there with Naito, and he was... I love watching Zack Sabre Jr. wrestle, and he he looked great in this one. He, he went toe-to-toe with Naito, and Naito doesn't often get frustrated, but he wasn't the same Naito that you always see, where he's like, take it easy, just like kind of in there slowly. He was He got stretched by Sabre quite a bit in this one. But it was Zack Sabre Jr. who made Bushi submit to a modified STF. He like had him. He had him all twisted up. It was it was it was pretty good to see. But yeah, it was it was a pretty good match. I enjoyed this one. And then match number four was another six man tag team match. It was Toa Hanare, David Finley, and Hiroshi Tanahashi versus another Suzuki Goon team of Taichi, Takashi Izuka, and Minoru Suzuki, who is the current IWGP Intercontinental Champion. And I, I mentioned it earlier. Suzuki is the man that took the title from Tanahashi, and in that match in January, it seemed to me like Tanahashi was going to be gone for a long time. I didn't expect to see Tanahashi on this show, because what Suzuki did to Tanahashi's knee was looked pretty brutal. It was a, it was a great match, but it was a brutal match. And in this match, Tanahashi did seem to kind of favor his knee. He wasn't limping necessarily, but even just walking to the ring before the match started... He seemed to be a little a little off or a little, I wouldn't say timid, but aware of his knee and aware of what he was doing with it. And of course, like, is it, like in the last match, it's a Suzuki-Goon match. So of course the fight went to the floor. There was a brawl. Uh, I don't think Tai Chi got the, the ring bell hammer that he usually does. But apparently Tai Chi has graduated to the heavyweight division. And he, he kind of looked at in this match too. He... He was kind of highlighted towards the end of this match. A lot of his offense after a while was taking advantage of the damage that Minoru Suzuki was doing, but he still looked pretty good, and Tai Chi did get the pin on Toa Hanare after a super kick. So yeah, another good match. I think this one, the focus on this one, other than Tai Chi, was really Tanahashi and Suzuki, because that's going to be, I believe that's a first round match. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Next up is another 2-on-2 match. It is the interesting team of Chase Owens and Kota Ibushi versus two members of Chaos, Yoshihashi and Kazuchika Okada. And of course, Gato was with Okada. And this match was a pretty sharp contrast to the previous matches of the night. It was fought mostly in the ring, mostly one-on-one. There wasn't a whole lot of teamwork, which I kind of, it kind of makes sense. Chase Owens, it's it's a weird team. Like, Owens and Ibushi just do not look like they belong together at all. And, I mean, they worked fine together, but there was no, like, teamwork, necessarily. It was 
individual efforts from both of them that worked for the same goal. And I think they did okay. That team came about because of the split in Bullet Club, the Civil War, whatever you want to call it, with Kenny Omega and Cody. And Chase Owens is on Kenny's side. And, of course, Kota Ibushi is back with Kenny Omega, the Golden Lovers. So it makes sense. It just looks weird, and it kind of felt weird. But, I mean, Yoshihashi and Okada really didn't do a whole lot of teamwork either. Okada doesn't really team with people so much. He kind of goes into business for himself, which makes sense. He doesn't really need to team with anyone. And it was Okada who forced Owens to submit to a Cobra Clutch. And, yeah, it was it was a good match. I liked it. It was different than the previous two matches, which I think I liked a lot. But then that leads us to the last two matches of the night. The first two matches in the New Japan Cup 2018. And the first match is Yujiro Takahashi with his very attractive female companion who I believe was announced as Nana versus Juice Robinson. And I didn't expect much from this match going into it. I, I like Juice Robinson but I'm not really a super huge fan of his. And so going into this match, I was kind of, I really didn't care who won. I kind of figured that Robinson would win the match just because Takahashi, I don't recall many or any matches that I've seen Takahashi win or at least get the pin in. I take that back. There are a few because I've seen him do his finishing move a few times, but he's never, I didn't really see him advancing in the tournament and I kind of did see Robinson, but really I didn't really care who won the match. And it kind of started kind of average, I think. It it was fine. There was nothing wrong with it. But there was a point early in the match where the fight did get out to the floor. Where Takahashi, he lifts up Robinson into the chairs at ringside over the barricade. And then Takahashi drops Robinson onto all of these chairs. It looked pretty brutal to me. It looked like it hurt a lot. And then juice robinson turns over and you see there's a big red spot on his back and then you see blood coming down his back it wasn't like a lot of blood but you could see it coming out of the wounds on his back and it was a it was a looked like a couple cuts that he got from the chair when he landed and i think that really sold the match for me from that point on it turned into this really interesting underdog match where juice robinson was taking a ton of punishment from takahashi mostly on the back and things like that. And the cuts kept bleeding throughout the match, so you could still see that. And the red welt got, it looked like it got bigger. Probably did, maybe it didn't, I don't know. But as the match kept going, and it didn't go on for too long, it was about a 15-minute match or so, but I think it really helped build up Juice Robinson's character. And me going into the match, like I said, I didn't really care who won, but after that point in the match and the way they built up to the finish made me care and it made me pull for juice robinson so i think that's really good um i like the guy i don't know that i necessarily want to see him win but i would like to see him in at least one maybe two more matches because he does have this kind of infectious personality where you you just i don't know i i was pulling for the guy it was it was a good match he it almost got a little bit ridiculous with the kickouts after everything and I know that's kind of, it's almost expected at this point for people in bigger matches to kick out of things that they wouldn't normally kick out of. And I get it, and I enjoyed it, and it was good, and it worked for the most part. And I think it, it teetered right on the edge of being like, okay, like, I get it. <laughs> He's kicking out of everything. 
but I think it did work in the end. And Takahashi, for his part, he did take a few big moves and he kicked out as well. But really, this was Juice's match, and I think it was a good first match of the tournament, and it was a good first match for Juice Robinson, even if he doesn't progress further than the second round. I think it did a lot for him and his character and his personality. And that leads us into the final match of the night, the main event, match number seven. It is the New Japan Cup first round match between Tomohiro Ishii and Michael Elgin. And if you know these guys, you know these are two very large men. And these are two men who are known for strikes and big power moves. And that's exactly what you got. And there was one thing Kevin Kelly said early in the match was that these two guys are mirror images of each other. And of course, he doesn't mean looks-wise, although they are both pretty wide. But it was more about how they move and how they handle themselves in the ring. And that was played out very much so in at least, I would say, at least the first half of the match and then sporadically throughout it. Because basically, the first quarter, third half of the match was trading blows and trading moves. And it was... I'm going to hit you with a forearm, now you hit me with your forearm. And let's just keep doing that until somebody gives up or falls down or whatever. And that's what happened. And yeah, I get it. I like it. But after a while, I like I want to see something different, you know? And so when I was watching the match, I kind of felt that I wasn't going to like this match so much. Because that did keep happening over and over. And it did go on for a long time. But after a certain point in the match... It did, which I can't actually even put my finger on. I can't point to one moment. In the in the Robinson match, I could point to that chair shot that cut Robinson's back and say, okay, that's when the match turned. In this match, in Elgin versus Ishii, I can't really point to one moment. It was just kind of that slow build to the change in the match. And eventually, I would say that Elgin started to pull ahead of Ishii. Elgin started hitting a lot more of the agile power moves. He did a like a gorilla press into a power slam, which I would say about halfway through the match. And that was, if I'm going to point to a moment, that's probably the moment where it started to, he started to kind of pull away a little bit. Ishii took a lot of damage in this, and there was a scary moment in the match. Pretty late in the match, Elgin had Ishii in the corner, and Elgin is sitting on the top rope, sitting on the top turnbuckle, and he has Ishii behind him, and he sets him up for like an avalanche splash mountain powerbomb. And it doesn't seem like Ishii gets over quite enough, and Ishii, all, it looked like he landed mostly on his head, and that was a scary moment. You could see the referee and Elgin both go talk to him. But then Ishii gets up, and he keeps fighting for like another 5 or 10 minutes. So I don't know if he was injured or not, but he didn't show it after that. But Elgin was doing all sorts of crazy moves. He, he did the deadlift superplex from the second rope, but he turned it into a jumping falcon arrow into the ring. It was, it was pretty crazy, and I did end up liking this match the most of the night. So Elgin did get the pinfall victory after a burning hammer. It was like, it came to a point to where Ishii did get a lot of big moves. He powerbombed Elgin at one point, and Elgin did have to fight back a little bit, kind of towards the end of the match, but mostly it was about what is Elgin going to do to Ishii next, and is Ishii going to be able to kick out at this time? And he did, and he kept kicking out, and he kept kicking out, and he kept getting up, and Elgin was just throwing Ishii all over the place, and mostly on his upper back and head. 
and eventually it worked and the burning hammer put Ishii down for the three count. So in the second round in a few days, I guess it will be Michael Elgin versus Juice Robinson in the second round of the tournament, which that'll be an interesting match because I see that being very much a Juice Robinson underdog match. I see Juice taking quite a beating in that one. But I think I've already gone on too long for what I had planned for this episode, so I'm going to cut it off here. And if you like this, come on back tomorrow night. You can go to cnjradio.com for the Wrestling House Show. All these mini-episodes. The February wrap-up show is coming soon. Don't worry. It's been a little bit tough for Joey and I to get together to finally talk about the month of February. Because it it kind of skipped past us really, really quickly. And we kind of weren't prepared for it. But it is coming. Also, more retro reviews on our Wrestling House Show Super Show series. And, of course, more of these mini-episodes. If you like this, please let me know. This is pretty fun. I like doing this. I like talking about New Japan and trying to spread the love of New Japan. So if you like it, let me know. Maybe if this series goes well, we'll pick it up for the big shows. Maybe the tournaments later on in the year, which will be a bunch of episodes daily. But we'll see what happens. But let us know what you think. Go to cnjradio.com where you can find links to the Twitter and the Facebook And also on cnjradio.com is the family of CNJ Radio Podcasts. Of course, Joey's Rock Strikes 10, always guaranteed to give you 10 songs, no more, no less. The Synaptic, hosted by Randy Brown, which is a true alternative. And of course, my last theater on the left, where soon you will have Spring Break in Springwood. We are doing, similar to our Friday the 13th series, we are going to tackle the Nightmare on Elm Street series, not daily, but we are going to spread it out over the different times that people have spring breaks. So you can find that, of course, on cnjradio.com. And that'll do it for tonight. I'll talk to you later. Bye.